right now is right now. We got Loretta Firekeeper Hawkins with us today in the studio here at Collaboration Radio. Yes. We're at the corner of art, activism, and social change. And I couldn't imagine a better collaborator for that conversation than our very special guest today, Loretta Firekeeper Hawkins. Welcome to Collaboration Radio, Loretta. Well, thank you very much for inviting me, Anthony. Um, it's a privilege and an honor to be here today to share some time with you and to talk about the mission of uh, Collaboration Theater. Collaboration is a 27-year-old nonprofit change agency. We started as a theater company, and then we made a commitment to digital work, making sure that we have a digital vibration that is being generated from what we're doing live and in space. And we've uh, been making a lot of digital content, and this is our radio show. Every week here at WCPT, 8.20 a.m., live, and later via podcast, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your podcasts. I think it's our 25th show, maybe? Time flies when you're alive. Yes, it does. And unless you're... Um, in one of those unique moments when time gets really slow, like the dentist chair or third grade science, or when does time go slow, Loretta? When you're having fun. <laughs> when you're sick. <laughs> when, when, is it, when it's go slow. When it's go slow. Oh. Slowly. Oh, make sure you're you're nice and oh, close okay. to that big microphone right there. All right. Um, no. Okay, I misunderstood. Time goes slowly when you're cold and when you're having bad thoughts. Um, when you're upset about something, time goes slowly. Time is going to go really fast here today on Clever Action Radio. Though we might be thinking about people that. Have slow time. Okay. It's the holiday season. Yes, it is. And it's getting cold in Chicago. Is it? It is. It was but fifty. It's not, was it sixty degrees yesterday? Um, I, I, I'm not complaining about the weather. I feel a little guilty though. Like this global is wonderful, warming. Like, wonderful weather. It is beautiful. It mm -hmm. is beautiful. Was was it sixty yesterday? I believe so. It's December 9th. And um, I feel a little guilty when it's so warm. Like I feel like this is not a good thing. Well, uh, I worry about that, too. Uh, it's supposed to be colder, and it's not. And that's a real concern. And I've been concerned about that for some time now. And um, I wrote a poem about this. And this was written many years ago, 
and the poem is called Must, Must We Wait? Would you like to hear it? I would love to hear it. Must we wait till it's too late before man learns? Must we feel the air we breathe pollute our lungs? Must we see birds drop like rain before man stops or feel earth twirl through space from heaviness much like a spinning top? Must every nation build a bomb before we all feel safe? Must everyone ignite his bomb if one explodes to just save face? Must every fish drown in the muck before we see that fish can't live in dirt and filth like we? Must we wait till it's too late before we know we kill ourselves as God reviews this foolish show? Now, this was written many years ago, but my concern then was about the environment and about how we are polluting this planet Earth, which is our home. That's the thing, folks, about having Firekeeper here with us today. She has written so many poems. She has a couple books with her. She can pull out a book and a, a, with a poem in it that's probably relevant to about anything that we're going to talk about today. Oh, I would imagine so. <laughs> and we're going to hear more poetry. Okay. Collaboration Radio is is sponsored by the Joseph and Bessie Feinberg Foundation. And people like you, you can become a member for as little as a dollar a month and help make this work and get access to our process and our community, get a discount on tickets and swag, and make sure you know when the next event is. We're also sponsored by AV Chicago, Chicago's leading provider of services and gear for events, theater. I'm talking about sound, lights, video. And they got the technical wizards to help you pull it all off. Go to AV Chicago and tell them Anthony sent you for your next big mitzvah or political rally. Loretta Firekeeper Hawkins is... I believe in the press, I was quoted as calling you a Chicago treasure. Well, I appreciate that. Um, that uh, I've been called many things. But I'll accept that. <laughs> but thank you very I much. I bet you have been called many, many, many great things. That would be a good poem to make of all the things that you've been called. Well, I don't write about myself. I mean, I'm talking about for me. Oh, oh. But you'd have to send all the things to me because I, I could only guess. Anthony, I had a package. And it must have had 25 or 30 pages in it that I intended to bring to you that uh, I have been preparing to bring to you. And I ran out of the house and I left it at home. And so since I believe that everything happens for a reason, then it's perhaps best I did not bring that package. It was not destined to be. Yes. Like we. So. So I met. Loretta, who I'm just going to call. Is there if I just refer to you as Firekeeper for the... Whatever you want. And then we'll go back to Loretta at the end of the show. Whatever you like. I met Firekeeper in the Flatiron Arts Building in around 2016, 17. I say 16. And um, 
she was submitting her work to be part of the Peace Book Festival. And she um, came into our studios up there and um, gave us uh, the published version of her book of poetry. Um, and These Shoes was one of the poems, or was that the book? Um, it was the book. And then, and then sat down, and we started getting to know each other. And the next thing I knew, I was in the first row of her class, and she was teaching <laughs> me about the black codes. Yes. And I, I've never forgotten that moment, and I've never forgotten, I've learned more about the black codes and about a lot of things that I was very ignorant of back then. And I'm still ignorant of a lot of things. But, you know, Loretta has a, oops, Firekeeper has a intrinsic, um, I would say, both love for, respect for others and the 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 drive to want to share and teach with others and um and i wonder as we get going here loretta if you would just tell everybody a little bit about i called you loretta again your origin story before you read your next poem how did you become the artist the woman the grandmother the creator the wise, the gentle, stylish, <laughs> smooth, beautiful human that you are. Well, thank Take you us back, for you? all of that. Um, I, um, I think that I think that the saying that uh, what does not kill you makes you stronger and I had a very difficult childhood uh, I have a poem that I wrote and I could not find that either to bring it to you so it's best to not bring it but I um, the poem that I wrote was called Childhood and the first line was, I lived my childhood in hell, and my father was Satan. That is how the poem began. And my father abused me every way that a person could be abused, spiritually, verbally, mentally, sexually, and any other way you can think. And um, <clears throat> and it did, not, it did not kill me. I think what it did was it made me stronger. It made me strong. And it made me determined that I would not be a statistic growing up on the West Side, black, poor, um, Seeing so many of my friends becoming pregnant and having no future, I became determined that I would 
go to school. I would learn. I would try to improve myself. And I would be, I would try to be as kind as I could be to any human I encountered. And that helped me when I was a teacher because I never knew what kind of home the children were coming from. And so I felt I had to be, I had to be their mother while they were with me. And that's how I treated them, regardless of their color. And I've taught children from, of every, every nationality. Um, you, what was your first classroom? Like your first class, do you remember? My, yes, the very first class. I had started off, I wanted to be a special ed teacher. And so I had majored in psychology and I was going to be a special ed teacher. And I taught for one year um, at Bernie School in Chicago. And it was the most difficult thing that I had ever done. Um, it was very, very um hard to teach children and uh, you think you've taught them and then the very next day they come back and they still do not understand. Um, so I um, I taught there at Bernie for one year and then being young and uh, what should I say militant. I was militant when I was young. Being young and militant I resigned from the Board of Education um, in protest of the Board of Education. And I drove um, 100 miles a day for two and one half years to teach at another school, which was North Chicago High School. And uh, I was teaching special ed there, but it was um, high school students, and it was it was much better. And... Um, that's what happened. And what year was that? That was like 1966, 67, 1966. I graduated in 1965 from college. Mm-hmm. And tell us about your mother. My mother? Yeah. My mother was the best mother in the world. My mother um, was not an educated woman. She said in the southern town where she was born, uh, in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, the teachers told the students, the black students, do not try to go to high school because you're not going to be able to get a job other than as a servant in the city. So you might as well just, after you finish eighth grade, go and get a job. So my mother did that. She got a job at um, at the factory at the um, Winston-Salem um, was a producer of a factory that produced cigarettes. And they made Winston cigarettes and Salem cigarettes. <laughs> and uh, so she she went there and she started working very early. She changed her age, and she started working there when she was about 14. But she was, so she was not educated, but she she believed in education, and she did everything she could to make sure that uh, my sister and I um, were able to go to school and 
to um, thrive in school, I suppose you could say. I remember when my first year in college, and uh, I I had no money for books, and uh, I told my mother, you know, I, I need a dictionary. And um, she said how much I told her. And it was sort of expensive then because my mother was doing domestic work. Um, she was cleaning homes on the north side of Chicago. She didn't have very much money, but she gave me the money for that dictionary. And uh, it was very useful, and I needed it for the class. So my mother was wonderful. She could sing. She had a beautiful voice, beautiful singing voice. And um, and I loved her very much. When I look in the mirror, I see my mother. When I want to see my mother, I look in the mirror. We're here with Loretta Firekeeper Hawkins on Collaborate Action Radio. Loretta's about to firekeeper. Tell everybody where what, what, what the name firekeeper means. So during prehistoric days, there was a person whose responsibility it was to make sure that the fire never went out because if the fire extinguished, um, the tribe would perish. And that person's name was the keeper of the fire. That was not their title. That was their name. Named at birth, and that was their job and responsibility until they passed it on to another person. And so in solidarity with our ancient, ancient ancestors, I call myself fire keeper because I want to keep alive in my people and in everyone else what has transpired in this country with people who have come here from Africa. And it's so easy to forget. And once you forget, you're lost. You cannot forget your past. You have to remember where you came from and who you are. And I consider myself not an African-American. I consider myself an African in America. If you'd like to call in with a question or, or a thought, you can join us by calling 773-763-9278. That's 773-763-WCPT. Firekeeper, let's keep the keep the fire lit and and hear a, a, a poem that you've prepared for us today. Okay, um, I'm going to write a poem about Africa. Um, since I mentioned Africa, and during, when Nelson Mandela was imprisoned for all of those years, many years, uh, I used to write about him and I used to write to him. Uh, I never got any of the letters back, so I don't know if he ever got them or not. Uh, and I would imagine he did not get them because he said he answered his letters. Um, but I was young. I was maybe in my 20s or so, and I would write. And I wrote a poem about Nelson Mandela um, and what was going on there, and it was called um, Afrique Unique. And I'm going to read that poem to you as soon as I can find it. And it's really about um, about the Africans in um, South Africa being um, discriminated against and being exploited. And it goes like this. 
while you're looking for it. I'm sorry. Let me just tell our listeners at home that Firekeeper has an amazing ensemble on today. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay, I found the poem. It's called Afri- Afrique Unique. In all of history, this heartless land where children starve while diamonds reflect bands of platinum, of gold, of genocide, will tales of misery for centuries span. In all of history, this apartheid, which sounds to me, my friend, like apartheid, demands Mandela's sit in jail and rot while all the world sit idly by and wait. In all of history have yet I heard where man's not been allowed to mourn his dead, where truth has in a heavy blanket hid, where God has seen yet not a word has said. That is that piece. Beautiful. Thank you. And so you can see that for a long time, I wrote this probably 20 20 years ago, um, the problems that existed back then concerning the peoples of this earth have probably intensified because when we look around the world, we see strife and war and fighting and killing and global warming and storms and hurricanes and fires and floods everywhere. We have the same problems. So I hate to be pessimistic, but it seems like we're not making any advancements. It looks as though we are. Um, we're declining in terms of the advancement of civilization. So, uh, you know, and I do hate to be pessimistic so much, but I think that I'm a realist. When when did it? It does seem like if you were to close your eyes and imagine 30 years from now, things would, would not be more peaceful. Yes. When, when has it always been like that? Or was there a point that we kind of crossed a line? Yes, I think we have crossed the line now. I mean, was it the Industrial Revolution? Was it was it um, colonialism? Was it the 80s? <laughs> you know, Anthony, I wrote, a, I wrote an article, and I meant to bring that, didn't I bring that? And the article is called The Moral Conundrum of America's Mass Killings. And so... I try to, in that article that I've written, and I'm going to send it out to radio stations, TV stations, whomever, uh, I try to explain what the problem is in this country. And the problem in this country is that this country has never been able to be truthful about anything. Nothing. This country has not been able to be truthful. So when you talk about where did we cross the line, we crossed the line at the inception of this country. When they wrote on a document that all men are created equal while simultaneously enslaving 20% of its human population, that was a lie. 
that all men are created equal. But they wrote it in a document and they want to pretend that that was the truth. That was not the truth. That was a lie. And then more lies were were stacked on top of a foundation of lies from a people who were fleeing persecution. Yes. And stole this land. Yes. Murdered. Yes. To thief and then claim it to be their own and forget the history. I agree, but had America not been created or not been created in the way it was, right? All these little states tied together into this new nation of immigrants on stolen land. I can't, I mean, I, I think that the American impact on some of the other large countries that are contributing greatly to a lot of the global issues, would they be different than they are? I guess they would have, because America may have put selfishness into hyperdrive globally, but with what's happening in 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 China and Russia and other countries around the world who seem to be not prioritizing human rights. You know, is it is it that we as a species are just not fully cooked? Well, it has been said that we are destined to destroy ourselves. And I believe that we're on the way to doing that, especially with the global warming. Um, the bumble, the, the honeybee, if every yeah. honeybee became extinct, humans would have four years to survive on this planet. And they are on the endangered list. And we are constantly killing them. And it's not just us, what we're doing with the pest, uh, pesticides. It's also the global warming. You know, they have no place to be warm, uh, to do whatever it is that they they need to do. So uh, it's, it's, really, uh, it's really sad. It's a sad thing. And uh, so many people are not concerned about it. They It's like... Drink, eat, be merry. But yet you, you get up, you write, you mentor, you taught young people for how many years? Uh, 42 years. Um, in the face of all that, you still have displayed by your actions a sense of hope. Yes, we are forever. We, you know, we, we're, we've been hurt, but we're not broken yet. No, and there's still time. There's still time to save this country, this planet, pardon me, uh, if we would all do something. But uh, we seem not to be able to do it because of politics. Uh, we need to Stop using gasoline in our cars um, because the because of the ozone layer being polluted, and uh, 
the sun not being able to shine on the earth even. Um, and it's in it is it's, it's really hurting um I, and I might sound racist if I say this, but it's hurting um people who have lighter complexions because they cannot have the sun uh shining on them quiet as it's kept there's uh many white people so called Caucasians dying from skin cancer. They want that, that melanin. Yes. Now, I playfully correct you and say you can't be racist. That would be reverse racism, which is impossible because you don't have systems of oppression behind you. And that's something I've learned from some of my many mentors. But you could be seen as biased. Yes, well, I have to throw that out there because um, this country is so racist that if you protest racism, they say you're protesting America. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, let's make let's make America <laughs> something again. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Summary of world civilization. One thing I used to do um, that I started doing, I taught for so long, I understood children, and I understood how they they thought. I think I did. And uh, so many of the poems that I would write, I would write in the voice of children. And so this one poem is called Summary of World Civilization. And this is written by... Perhaps um, seventh, eighth grade student, and it goes like this. He's writing a composition. First of all, they kill Jesus Christ near a place called Jerusalem. They crucified him because he was going around making strange and preposterous claims. Before that, they killed Socrates. Very civilized, of course, with hemlock, for after all, this was the height of Greek civilization in Athens. Socrates was advocating change and saying stuff about right and wrong that Jesus himself would later quote. After Jesus was Abraham Lincoln in America, he had the audacity to emancipate the slaves of an entire nation, just set them free. They weren't even his own slaves. But he believed in abolition and change. He was shot in a theater. Next was Mohandas Gandhi in India. He was setting folks free, too, with passive resistance, nonviolence, and civil disobedience. So he, too, had to be assassinated. He was shot three times. John Kennedy of America came along talking about change, talking about freedom and disenfranchisement and Quoting Lincoln, they shot him in the neck and in the head. Martin Luther King Jr., America in Alabama, same thing, talking about change, about freedom, and quoting Gandhi. When King was in jail, he wrote in a letter, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. They killed him too. That was after he got the Nobel Prize. This is my summary of World Civilization One. 
I have named the people and where they lived. What I learned from this summary is if you think too much or try to change anything or set people free or quote somebody, they will probably kill you. I have quoted somebody, but only because it was an assignment. Also, I have used and underlined all of my vocabulary words. And what was that one called again? Summary of World Civilization One. Summary of World Civilization One. <laughs> yes. Wow, yeah. And when you put it that way, it's it's hard not to be intimidated by by the the things men will do for for power. Yes. And um and it's like it's almost like Squid Game on Netflix. It's like it's like if if the world leaders all came together and they all had to hold hands in a circle <laughs> to save humanity, they would be too proud to hold each other's hands and we would all die. I think so. You know? I think so. And 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 um and you know it, it I tell you what it makes for a, one, a wonderful dilemma. This life, it's a the human puzzle is a is maybe the most complex game there is and the hardest to solve. And I'll tell you right now if you can't take the time to appreciate just the fact that you're alive. Yes. And that you have you have now and if you're lucky you have tomorrow. Yes. And if you actually have enough now and enough tomorrow that you can you can find love and peace and happiness you should start thinking about those people who, for who time is is slow. Yes. And who who who, who need you. I mean, that was, you know, when I was in my early 20s as an artist, I became really kind of into this concept of, you know, creating space to co-celebrate being alive with other people and doing it through art and stories and dance and dialogue. And and then I, you know, started to think, you know, Anthony, not everybody can celebrate being alive. And then I started thinking, well, we should be working towards helping those people. Well, you know, Anthony, I would like to uh, commend you for what you have done. I saw photos of you when you were a young man and you were struggling trying to get uh, an organization going to promote um, racial healing. And um, you struggled and... um, it was a it was a, it was hard i mean none of it was easy and you were scooting around here and there and doing this and doing that and trying to have events and and uh, going to the parks um and having events in the parks uh really on a almost on a monthly if not biweekly uh basis and uh and you have built this organization up, Collaboration Theater, to where they could earn an Emmy. So I would have to, too. Okay, so I would like to say that um, 
I think that uh, you are to be commended for what you've done, and uh, I congratulate you, and um, I am happy to be a part of this organization. Thank you so much. Um, your husband, your late husband, was a pallbearer at Emmett Till's burial. Is that correct? That is correct. And, you know, here we sit together, you know, and you know my wife and my daughter and our fi- and I know your 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 daughters. Mm. Yes. And um history sometimes thing seems like a thing that's in a book, but really it's just people connected to one another. And um it's been an honor to be connected with you and um and you know working on trial in the delta which was Clever Action's uh, excavation of the missing trial transcript mm-hmm. of the state of Mississippi versus the men who killed Emmett Till, um, was just, you know, uh, an honor and a, felt like a piece of destiny. But, um, you know, meeting and collaborating with folks like you and you specifically um you know uh makes it makes it personal yes and um tell us a little bit about about your your husband well um what i will say about my husband whose name is joseph hawkins um he was i, I was a member of a group called uh narrations of the Goodman Theater. And uh, we had to write, um, we had to write articles. And um, then we were selected to go to the Goodman Theater and to read our articles. And what I wrote was uh, an article called uh, My Most Extravagant Gift. And, uh, And it was about my husband because he was a gift to me. Uh, I would not be who I am if it were not for Joseph Hawkins. He grew up in the church that was uh, the famous church that um, Emmett Till attended. And he was 14 years old. Emmett Till was 14 years old. And um, when they, when Emmett Till was killed, um, my husband was a, was a, uh, palm bear, is that the word? Paul, Paul bear. Paul bear, Paul bear. Thank you. He um. There's a famous picture that they show all the time, and it shows uh, Mamie Teal standing at the casket. Uh, she's leaning over and she's crying, and standing next to her is a is a woman whose hand is in the air, and that is my future mother-in-law, and standing next to her is uh, my future aunt, pardon me, my, my future husband, which is Joseph Hawkins. He was 14 years old at the time, and he's looking very angry, and next to him is his aunt. So those were my, that was my family there, but I did not know it, of course, because I was 14 at the time. Um, maybe I was 13 because Joseph was uh, a year older than me. 
And uh, so I was 13. He was 14. And uh, but I did meet him a few years later. Uh, I was working at the post office and I was on the elevator and he uh, I guess you could say he hit on me. That's the new term. And he said, um, uh, do I do I know you as your name, whatever? And I said, no, it's not. And so that's how we got into the conversation. And I was so silly and foolish that uh, I would not date him because he looked so young. He he looked so young, and I thought, oh, he's too young for me, and I'm sophisticated, I thought. Um, and so for a whole year, he begged me to go out with him, and I refused to go out with him. And uh, he said, why won't you go out with me? And I said, you're too young. And I, I suppose I wasn't thinking because you had to be 18 to work at the post office. And um, I said, no, you're too young. And uh, so he said, well, if my mother told you how old I was, would you believe her? I said, yes. So he invited me home to dinner. And uh, we were sitting there. And then I finally said, "Uh, how old is Joseph? And his mother told me. And so I believed him. So I said, okay, so I'll go out with you. So we started dating. And uh, and the rest is history. We have three daughters, uh, Robin, Deanna, and Sherry. And um, they treat me the way he treated me. He taught them how to treat me. And so now I have three mothers. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) They they call me constantly when I go out. Where are you? And I say, is this the FBI? Um, You know, what what is it? Do you want to say anything to them right now if they're listening? Hello, Robin. Hello, Dion. And hello, Sherry. I doubt they're listening because all three of them are at work. And I just want to say hello to Joseph. Uh, you must have been a pretty special guy to uh, to to uh, land Loretta in the elevator that day. <laughs> so he he was eighteen. You were seventeen at this time. No, no, you had to be eighteen to work at the post office. So I was eighteen. He was probably uh, nineteen. And had you seen the photo of Mamie at the casket, the one you yes, described? Yes, I, I had seen it, but at the time that I saw it, I didn't know him. Yeah, but and you did, did when you met him. Did you know that was him? No, that, no, no, I didn't know. Uh, and how showed, did he, And so he him and Emmett me. were friends. Pardon me. Him, yes, he and Emmett were. were friends. Yes, they were friends. They were good friends. And you must have met Mamie Till a few times. No, because I did not go to that church. Even in, and then when she was a teacher and you never met her after. Never. Did you know that Willie Round, collaboration company member and co-writer of Trial in the Delta, had Mamie as a substitute teacher? Oh, wow. When I didn't he know was that. like in fifth grade. I didn't know that. And he beats himself up because he, <laughs> he was not uh, a good, well-behaved <laughs> student on that day. Okay. Isn't that wild? Yes, it is. Um, and... So I, I did meet Gwendolyn Brooks. That's the famous person I met. Um, Tell I was, us about that. I was, um, I was in a program at the University of Chicago. It was a program for teachers. And uh, there were very few, um, if any, blacks in that program. And uh, it, I, no, I think it was maybe three, three, three black people in the program. But... Most of the people were were going north. 
uh, because that's where they lived. And Gwendolyn Brooks lived south. And so they casually asked me, uh, would you drop Gwendolyn Brooks off at home? And it was like, yes, I'll <laughs> drop her off. She was already famous. She was already um, the, um, what is the word? Poet laureate. Poet laureate of Chicago. And uh, she had won all kinds of prizes. And I would say, yes, yes. And so uh, I had the honor of driving her home. And she lived on King uh, Lakeshore Drive, right near the um, the Museum of Science and Industry. Her building was a few blocks north of of uh, that institution. And so I drove I drove her home, and uh, she talked to me, and she told me a lot of things that I remembered. And uh, one thing she told me then was, um, "Do not allow anyone to call you." anything other than black. She said, because, she said, it is a way to separate black people. She said, uh, all black people, we're, we're the same. The ones dropped off in Puerto Rico, the ones dropped off in um, any 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 of those islands, uh, they were just dropped off at a certain place. But we all came from Africa, and we're all black. And so... When someone says African American, they're separating you from the African French person or the African from the people in uh, Brazil or all of South America, and 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 the islands. So, um, so I do prefer being called black uh, as opposed to being called African American because, as I said, I consider myself an African in America, and that's a. And, and that's a tip for white people. Listen to what Loretta said, because some it seems like some white people are scared to say black. You know, you know that's because they see black as negative. Yeah. And so the, so that's telling right there that they think but, black is negative and white is positive. And so they think that if they call you black, they're insulting you. But it's not their fault because there was a time when. If you call a black person black, they would want to cut you with a knife, okay? Because they were brainwashed. They, the blacks were brainwashed. They were taught that black is bad and white is good. And uh, my philosophy is that almost everything that you have learned since you have been in this so-called white supremacist country is the reversal of truth, okay? Black is good. And the reason black is good is because black, our blackness is from the melanin. And the melanin is powerful. And if you don't believe me, you start looking at the football players that run out. Why are so many of them black? The basketball players, why are many so black? You look at tennis, why are the ones that who are excelling black? Why are the ones look at the filling track when they're running? Almost always the blacker they are, the faster they are. It's the melanin. And I know you might not believe it, but the melanin is powerful. Melanin was used to make the, um, the, um, what is it? The vaccinations for, 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 
were COVID, which, you know, is is not being said. Um, before, please look at some of uh, Jane Elliott's, Jane Elliott, Jane Elliott's videos, Jane Elliott. Um, and she will tell you, she is a white woman who will tell you. Jane Elliott is, is, is amazing. Now, Malcolm Gladwell has a, is an economist and a writer, and he has an argument that actually the reason some people make it in sports Mm -hmm. and others don't is because they have a lack of other opportunities. So they become hyper driven to succeed and they put in an amount of work that is so much greater than anybody else. And he says he, even he is a white man was a good runner in college, Mm -hmm. but he had too many options and he didn't work hard enough. Mm -hmm. And if you look at what oppression has done to shape the music that has come out of Chicago, jazz, Chicago, hip hop, house music. It is interesting how hard times can, and like you said about your own childhood, hard times can, can either crush you or turn you into a diamond. Yes. Well, um, I, you know, I, I won't dispute him, but, um, I just still feel that the melanin, you know, when I was at the university of Chicago and, uh, in, uh, in classes, we were taught, and this was maybe, I, I graduated like in 1982, I believe. So classes and classes, I learned that uh, the average white person, the average white woman was not reproducing herself. And that is when white women started adopting children from Russia first. And they did not have much success because the children who were in Russia that they were adopting had been in orphanages and they had not uh, held the babies. And so the babies were not humanized the way they should be, uh, socialized. And so they stopped stopped, uh, uh, adopting Russian babies and they started adopting Asian babies. And so you see all these white women with... Chinese babies, Japanese babies, etc., um, because the white women were not uh, reproducing. And the reason they were not reproducing was because, and this is, you know, this is theory, uh, white genes are recessive and black genes are dominant. And so when you have a group of people who continue to mate with themselves, recessive with recessive, then you run into some problems like in the movie Deliverance. Okay? You remember Deliverance? Bada bang, 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 bang. <laughs> so um, we're running out of time. Okay. And uh, do you wanna um, leave us with a with a poem? Well I'll I'll do the um, I'll do the blessed. Excellent. Okay, I just wrote a poem and I it's uplifting. I was asked to read a poem, and my daughter Dion told me, Mom, they do not want anything about slavery, depression, discrimination. They want something uplifting. So I wrote this poem, and it goes like this. And it's sort of lighthearted, and I wrote it really thinking of myself, but it will 
uh, apply to many of you. Shout out to you. like this. Shout out to you. Shout out to my daughter, Dion Hawkins. Great. The great theater director. Okay. And it goes like this. As mere humans, we sometimes get overwhelmed and stressed. And we totally forget sometimes, somehow, that we are actually blessed. We wake up in the morning, try to assess, does my knee still hurt? And your knee answers promptly. Your knee says, yes. So now you're stressed. But think of the person who has no leg, no knee. Just think of that poor soul. Then realize and see. That person would gladly change places with you, I confess. Because with all your hurt and pain, you are still blessed. You work all day, come home. The house is a mess. Sink full of dirty dishes. And the rest, just stress. But this situation you need to reassess. You have a house, a job, a sink, and dishes too. Out in the world, there's someone who wished that they were you because you are blessed. The grandkids come to visit by their own requests. All week, electronic games, but no, not chess. There are movies, pillow fights, children's laughter into the night. The fridge totally empty when they left. The house a mess. Stress. But think about it. You were totally blessed because they came and loved on you by their own request. You were blessed. And then there's the problem about that old car, I guess. It never was a car that would impress, but now it needs some brakes and a catalytic converter, too. And if you don't hurry and pay that note, it might be repossessed. Then how you get to that job of yours will be anybody's guess. Stress. But at least you do have a car, you know, so you are blessed. And if you just act right, that car will take you wherever you want to go. And have you ever gotten into a relationship and now you have regrets? Whether it was a man, a woman, platonic, friendship, romantic, or less. And though you tried and tried so hard to make that relationship work, you nevertheless had no success. Stress. So what you do, my friend, is let the spirit above guide you and that problem possess. Just throw your hands up to the universe and shout to the heavens next. Because you, my friend, you, my friend, you, my friend, are blessed.